This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Last week we started our series in the book of James and we went through James chapter 1. And if you missed that, I would encourage you, you can go watch the sermon online um, through our app or through our website, or you can just download the audio. If you don't want to look at me, I understand. Um, yeah. um, but uh, we went through the book of James uh, chapter 1 last week, and I gave a lot of setup, kind of who James is talking to. And I've been very excited as I've been studying and preparing these messages, because we're going with this theme, the overflow of grace. And I truly believe that the message of James is an overflow of grace. And so the title of my message this morning is actually the overflow of grace. Real creative, right? Yeah, just taking the series name and making it my sermon title. Because I think that this section of James is one of the most highly debated sections of the book of James, especially uh, throughout history. As you look at people even like Martin Luther, the great reformer, who actually wanted the book of James taken out of the original canon of Scripture because of James chapter 2. The part that we're going to read today is the part that made um, Martin Luther want to get rid of the whole book. He said, because of this one portion, let's get rid of the whole thing, because he saw a direct conflict with the message of Paul through the book of Romans, especially that of Romans one seventeen and Romans 4. So we're going to talk about that a little bit when we get to that section. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open those up to James chapter 2. If you didn't bring your Bible, don't forget we have Bibles available that are in the translation that I'm speaking in that are at the back of the sanctuary. Don't feel weird about getting up and getting one of those. We're not all going to look at you, except now that I said we're not, we probably will. So... You can also follow along on version if you have your phone with you, and you can follow along on my notes. We put those on version if you just use that Bible app, and you, you can download, uh, search for an event in your area. Um, that's a free app, and it's a free service that they make available to churches, and so we, do, we utilize it. So make sure you take advantage of those things. Otherwise, write down the title if you are writing your notes today, The Overflow of Grace. Before we read James 2, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much. For this opportunity that we have to read your word together, to study your word, to share your word. Thank you for the great responsibility that you've given me to be a vessel that would share your word to your people. And I know that that is a great weight, Father, and I pray that I'll speak it clearly with authority, Father, with passion, and without error, God, the way that you intended it to be spoken and shared with other people. So it can spark truth, so it can spark life, so it can spark, um, Father, a, a renewing of our minds. And I pray that you would do the heart work in people that needs to be done today, Lord. Do it in all of us for your kingdom, for your glory. We submit our ideas to you, and we say this is all about you and for you. And so we say, Lord, not our will but yours today, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, James chapter 2. Now remember that James is writing to a group of Christians at various churches, and he's correcting these guys because they've become very prideful, and uh, they've also begun to think that uh, because they're, uh, they, they know so much that that equates to spirituality, and we learned last week how going through those trials and things that God 
proves himself faithful and actually is, that's part of our pathway to maturity when we go through those trials, when we go through those temptations, and that we shouldn't forget what we look like. We shouldn't forget who we are in Christ and who God has made us to be. And it's not through our good deeds or through how much knowledge we have that makes us right with God. It's through his grace. And so the overflow of grace. Now, let's go ahead and read James chapter 2 and verse 1. James says this, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and you say, well, you sit here, sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, and you stand over there, or how about you sit down at my feet, you look kind of shady. That was added. I didn't, that's not in Scripture. Verse 4, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? For you have dishonored the poor man. Are you not the rich ones who, are, the, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which we were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's stop right there before we read any more because this is a big section that we just went through that we need to talk about for a minute. James uses these 13 verses to really explain the idea of favoritism and partiality that was being shown because, remember, these guys thought that they were special because of their wealth. They thought they were special because of their knowledge, and they toted themselves around as being spiritual because of their accumulation of wealth and also their knowledge that they possessed of scripture they looked at themselves as elitist and so when someone would come in that was poor or ignorant they wouldn't be as welcomed as someone who came in wearing nice clothes now james uses the illustration of a court system to help these guys understand why this is so wrong because the judges of that day were never to lift up the head of the accused to see who it was. So this is how it would work during that day and time in the court system. If a person was being accused of something, they would be brought before a judge and they would either be wearing a cloak or some type of hood or they would keep their head down. And if the judge wanted to see who it was after the sentencing was given, he could take his hand and he could actually lift up their head in order to see who it was. This is so when the judge would make judgments, if it was his buddy or someone that he knew or a family member, that he would still make the same judgment before he knew who it was. So those people were supposed to walk in with their head covered. They were not supposed to have any type of favoritism or partiality be shown to them. And so uh, James uses this idea of the court system to explain to them why the partiality that they're showing and the favoritism they're showing in their church in particular is wrong. 
He's saying, hey, listen, guys, when rich people come in your church, they shouldn't be treated any differently than anyone else. Why are you giving them the good seats, and why is everybody flocking around them and treating them special when you guys are missing the whole point? You're telling the poor guy, the guy that may not smell right or look right, you're saying, hey, stand over there, or, or you sit over here where we can keep our eye on you. Why are you doing that? You're not supposed to show partiality. And then he goes into explaining, remember, even the judges don't do this. They're not supposed to do this, and this is how this should be working. Now, James likens the judge's position as being a position that the believer should take in welcoming someone into their fellowship. In other words, James is trying to get across that the ground is level at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Amen? That the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter how society may view you. When you are around Christian people, when you are around people that love God, if they genuinely love God, part of that overflow of grace should be in the way that they are treated. And that that treatment should be equal, not regarding how smart you are, how spiritual you are, how well you're received in the community, what type of clothing you wear, what kind of car you drive, how big your bank account is, what part of town you live in. It doesn't matter. James is saying, listen, part of the heart work, part of the overflow of grace that God has done should be that we treat other people all the same regardless. Because really, the cross puts us all on the same level. Amen? It does. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter if you grew up with a silver spoon in your mouth. It doesn't matter if you had the best parents and family situation in the world or if you were homeless living on the street most of your life, living in a terrible dysfunctional situation. We all need Jesus the same. That's why the ground is level at the cross of Christ. It is a level playing field. It is something that takes every one of us and puts us into the same position. And these Jewish people had the toughest time with that idea because they already thought of themselves as elitists. And if you already think of yourself as an elitist, you're going to have a harder time receiving grace. You're going to have a harder time receiving the message of the cross because you think that the cross is just something extra. You think that's something you already know or something I know Jesus did for me. I already said that prayer. I already went through that class. I already got baptized. I already had somebody speak over me. I was already dedicated. I already had this done. So why, why are we still talking about the cross? Because we always need to be reminded of the cross because it was your sin and my sin that put Jesus on that cross. Amen? And because of that, none of us are exempt from this idea of a need of grace and a need of Jesus because everyone, regardless of their level of morality, regardless of their level of generosity, regardless of their level of friendliness and hi, how you doing there, neighbor? Well, that guy must be a Christian. He's so friendly. That's not necessarily the markings and the bearings of someone who follows Christ. Because we think that that's the goal, is to be a nice person that's well thought of and well liked, or be a person who's successful in business, or has a successful marriage, or successful families. No, that's, these aren't things that we try to do in order to obtain forgiveness or grace in the eyes of God. No, these things that happen, that are good, that come out of our life, should be an overflow of the work of grace that the cross has done in our hearts. Amen? So in other words, anything good that comes out of me is because of Jesus. It's not my pathway to Jesus. So the ground is level at the cross. It puts us all in the same boat. 
It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter, just like Chaplain Rick was sharing this morning, how those uh, men and women that are in our, uh, our, our, our jail systems, and these people, they need Jesus just like someone who has never set foot in jail or ever committed a crime where they have ridden in the back of a squad car. doesn't matter. You need Jesus just as much. Amen? Because they could be sitting in a physical prison, but you could be sitting in a different kind of prison, and your sin both got you to the same place. Their sin's just a little bit more obvious. And it's easier, and that's what James is trying to say. He's saying, listen, it's easier to go ahead and cast judgment when something's obvious. Because when someone comes in and they're obviously poor in your assembly, and you see that there's markings and bearings of significant poverty in their life, you immediately want to cast judgment on them because they're wearing their poverty. They're, they, they, they may smell like extreme poverty because perhaps they don't have access to adequate cleaning facilities like some of the rich people had in that day. There were obvious markings that this person has issues. It's the same thing we do today when someone walks in with a bunch of piercings and tattoos or when someone may walk in with a haircut that may not be the normal thing, maybe a little extreme in our view or not what we're used to seeing. It's the same type of thing that we do, and that's what James is saying. Listen, show no partiality. You need to love those people the same because Christ died for those people the same, and we all are his children. We all are those people. We all need grace. We all need the cross. Amen? Ground is level. James begins to unpack this idea that the grace of God that was given to the Christians that he's writing to, and he's condemning their behavior because he's saying this is contrary to what grace impacting someone's heart should be because one of the bearings one of the markers should be in the way that you treat one another we're instructed to give that same measure of grace that we have been shown the bible gives this reiterating theme over and over again especially throughout the gospels of to whom much is given much is required and that we're supposed to be wise stewards of what we have been given And we have been given much grace, so therefore we are supposed to steward much grace, not just tank it up for ourselves. Amen? You've heard me say this quite a few times, if you've heard my preaching for any amount of time, that we are conduits of the grace of God. We should be conduits of the love of God, not just containers and storehouses and warehouses of the grace and forgiveness and mercy of God. But rather, it should flow in us, affect us, change us, and flow out of us. Amen, somebody? Because we received grace from somebody that was impacted by the message of the gospel because we heard the message of the gospel somehow, some way, and somebody has touched our lives in a significant way that has been impacted by the gospel. So it's supposed to flow through you. It's not supposed to be something that you just pack up and build up for yourself. And that's what James is saying. So you guys just think it's all about packing up as much knowledge as you can about the cross, about grace, about, about uh, the, the scripture. And you want to get so smart but yet there's very little fruit in your lives because look at the way you treat poor people when they come in your church versus the way you treat rich people. He said, you're not allowing this stuff to impact your heart. And James is trying to get them back to the heart. He's trying to get them back to the cross. He's trying to get them to live out of that overflow of grace. And he's very concerned about this. And it's funny that this was written probably over 2,000 years ago and we're still dealing with the same thing today, right? So what does that show you? It shows you that it's not a uh, Jewish thing. And it's not an Eastern thing, and it's not a 2,000 years ago thing. It's a people thing. It's a sin problem. It's an issue of the heart. 
And it doesn't matter what color you are, doesn't matter what creed you are, doesn't matter what uh, denomination you are, it doesn't matter what background you are, doesn't matter where you come from. We all deal with this issue of truly surrendering our heart to Christ and allowing Him to truly impact us in a deep, deep way to where we begin to see change in our lives. And that's why he's trying to call attention to this, because he's trying to get to the heart. Because love is the overflow of grace. It's that simple. Love is the overflow of grace. And I know that may sound overtly simple, and it may sound like a bumper sticker or a t-shirt, but love truly is the overflow of grace. Let's go and look at the words of Jesus. So just a kind of bookmark, if you have one of those really sweet bookmarks in your Bible, go ahead and just uh, pull that dude out and leave it in James and flip over to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. You guys doing good today? You okay? Yeah. Okay, just checking. All right, Matthew 25. We're going to read a parable of Jesus that actually Chaplain Rick mentioned when he was sharing with us also uh, about the parable of the sheep and the goats. But Jesus has just finished giving a series of parables over and over again trying to illustrate this idea of what the kingdom of God is like. So he's showing heaven's value system through these parables. So you can go back later and read the rest of those parables to really catch the heart of heaven. And you can see the value system of God in those previous parables as well. But this is the one that uh, we're going to share today, one of the final ones that he unpacks here, Matthew 25. Let's start reading in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then will he sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He's going to separate people from one another like a shepherd would separate sheep from goats. He's going to place the sheep on his right, but the goats he's going to place on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come with me, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, and they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? We don't remember this. When, when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and we visited you? The king will answer to them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. And sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will answer, and they're going to say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison? And we didn't minister to you. Surely if we would have seen you, we definitely would have taken care of that. I mean... Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, you did not do it to one of the least of these. You didn't do it to me. And these will go into eternal punishment with their righteousness into eternal life. Now flip over real quick to John 13. And let's look at John 13 and 35. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You see, the visible sign that we have received grace should be our treatment of other people. 
And that's what James is trying to drive home here. He's saying, listen, if you guys have really received grace, these shouldn't just be things that are Christian instructions. This should be an overflow of the grace of God impacting your heart. That's why the grace of God never stops impacting our heart, and we never stop growing in our need for Christ. That's why we always recognize we need Jesus, and it's not something where we get to this apex or we get to this mountaintop where we can just exhale and go, I made it, I've done everything I was supposed to do, look at my checkoff list, Jesus. He says, yeah, you're always, 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 always going to need Jesus, and you're always going to need the grace of God to grow bigger and bigger in your heart as you're impacted and influenced by that. That's why we remember the cross. That's why we, that's why we remember uh, His grace and what He's done for us. Because the more that we are engaged in relationship with Him, and the more we realize how dark our sin was and how great His grace, all of a sudden the response in my life becomes loving other people and wanting to treat other people differently than I treated them perhaps before I was influenced by grace, before I was impacted by grace. Now my life is this overflowing expression of the love of God towards other people, and it manifests in different ways. And Jesus gave some illustrations of how that can manifest. You know, going and visiting people in, in prison, going and taking care of sick people, being there for people who are hungry or thirsty. What is he saying? He's saying the same thing that James was saying because James was given this idea of you're putting the poor over here to the side, and you're not including them in your fellowship, but you're preferring the rich. That's not showing evidence of a heart impacted by grace. He said, because this is the type of stuff that should come out of a heart impacted by the grace of God. That's why Jesus said it's not some kind of t-shirt you wear. It's not some bumper sticker you put on your car. It's not the latest cool tattoo that you get that lets people know that you're a Christian. It's because you have love one for another. Amen, somebody. Oh, that was pretty weak. I said, amen, somebody. You see the visible sign that we have received grace, forgiveness from the work of Jesus on the cross is if we have love for one another and we serve as conduits of that love. Now, Matthew 12 and 33, Jesus said that a tree is known by its fruit. He said either make the tree good and its fruit good or the tree's going to be bad and its fruit's going to be bad, but a tree is going to be known by its fruit. Hear me when I say this. A genuine encounter of receiving God's grace will be a life that is changed to show God's grace. We don't talk about change nearly enough. I think that when we have a genuine encounter with God, it causes us to change. It's not this thing where we just feel better about ourselves, but where there is a visible difference that our heart is being reoriented, that we're being refocused, that things that we did not care for or didn't want to do, now all of a sudden our heart is being turned towards those things. And God is beginning to put us in situations that we have been in before, but we're handling them differently than we did before our encounter with His grace. Amen, somebody. That should be the evidence of a heart being impacted and influenced by the grace of God. Not just a group of people who are really, really, really smart about Scripture. Not people who are really, really, really good at memorizing songs and words and singing and, and, and making this great uh, uh, vocal chorus to God and singing these wonderful words. No, no, no. That's not the goal. The goal is for our hearts to be impacted and changed 
And if we're just coming to church and we don't want to change, if we're just getting into Scripture and we don't want to change, if we're just going through the motions and there's no change in us, then we're missing that grace of God and we need to return to our first love and we need to repent and we need to recognize that we have been living for ourselves thinking that we need to accumulate all this knowledge for ourselves and that will equate to spirituality or we need to say, God, no, I want what you want in my life and I want to give my heart to you and surrender these areas in my life to being influenced and impacted and affected by your grace. So I can start treating people different. That doesn't mean people are going to treat you differently. Right? If that's how it worked, then, man, we wouldn't have enough space in Sheboygan County because everybody would want to be in church this morning. If that's how it worked, that, then it would be the magical key. It would be the magical formula to get everybody to treat you special. But you're not always going to be treated special. Jesus said that. He said, don't be surprised when people hate you. And it's kind of going to be my fault that they do. That's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, the world's going to despise you. He said, it's going to be because of me. It's going to be for my sake. He said, and don't be afraid of them. Don't fear them when they despise you. You keep loving them. You keep showing them grace because your flesh is going to want to respond and react. But if your heart has been impacted by that encounter, you know there's something different that should be driving your reaction to the way others treat you. We should be treating our spouses differently because of the way that our heart has been impacted and influenced by grace. We should be engaging with our children differently because of the way that our hearts have been impacted and influenced by grace. We should be better employees and employers if our heart has truly been impacted and influenced by grace. We should be better friends and family members if we truly have been impacted and influenced by grace. Not just people that show up once a week for church and who sing songs and give money and volunteer on occasion. There's got to be more to this thing than that. Amen? Amen. There's got to be more to it than that. And it's the way we treat each other. And James is trying to drive that home. He's trying to get them back to square one because they've drifted away. Even if you've had a genuine encounter, even if you've had a genuine experience with the grace of God, we can drift away from that and we began to get misguided and misdirected and we began to start giving back into that selfishness that jesus said no 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 no. you're free from that that's not who you are i know that's familiar i know you remember living that way i know that you used to think that way but you need to start transforming your mind you need to start thinking differently come over here this way that way is wide it's easy man it leads to destruction and nobody even knows they're going to destruction because there's so many people going that way but but actually this way over here it's 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 straight and it's narrow and i want you to be on this path because it's going to be so much better for you and it's going to bring me glory that's what he wants us to do that's where he wants us to get a tree is known by its fruit and a genuine encounter with the grace of god is going to be a life change to show that grace let's keep on reading james 2 let's pick back up in verse 14 so what good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works Can that faith save him? Now remember, James is still talking about the treatment of other people. If a brother or sister is treated poorly, if he's clothed and if he's lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled. I love the sarcasm here of James. 
but you don't give them the things that they need for the body, then what good is that? If you're just speaking blessings over them, and you're speaking nice Christianese words over them, but you're not actually doing something about it when you have the ability to do something about it, he says, what good is that? What are you doing? You're missing the mark. You think you're so spiritual because you're just saying all the right things. Oh, brother, I'll pray for you. Oh, brother, I'll pray for you. Bless his little heart, Jesus. But yet, it's within our capacity to actually do something for that brother. He said, what are you doing? Why are you telling him to go in peace? Why are you telling him you'll pray for him? Why are you telling him you're thinking about him? They don't need you to think about him. They need you to visit them or care for them or provide something for them because they're in need and they're hurting and they're trying to reach out. And they're looking to you because you're the one who has Christ. And because you have Christ, you're, you're, you're supposed to be this overflowing person of grace that is not showing any partiality just because maybe you don't know them or maybe they're not your kind of people. No, you're treating everyone the same because of what's been done in your heart and what you've been given and He's saying, what are you doing, guys? You're missing the mark. Where's the heart in this? Don't you know that if you're being truly influenced by grace, these things should be coming out? So let's keep on reading, because all that wasn't in there. All right. (laughs) Go in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things needed for the body. What good is that? Verse 17. So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have work. So let's, you know, you, you think that way, I think this way. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, James is saying, I'll show you the fact that I've been influenced and encountered by grace because there's going to be a change in my life and it's going to be a visible change. And you're going to see those things. He's saying, that's what I'm telling you. You believe that God is one, you do well. Huh. But even the demons believe that and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, the faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them um, out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So here the message of James as he is getting through the remainder of this section of the letter. We always have to look at scripture in what? Somebody help me. In context. We always look at this thing in proper context. So we're seeing here that James is trying to get to the heart of these people and he's trying to get them to understand that this should be the overflow of grace in your life by the way you treat other people. And then he compares their faith to works and he says that faith without works is dead. Now, this is the part of the text that Martin Luther freaked out over, okay? Because this was the one that made him want to throw out the entire book of James from the canon because he saw a direct violation from the statement of being justified through works because Romans says that we are justified by faith and not by works. We also see in Ephesians where we have received that grace of God and that it's a gift and it's not lest any man should boast, right? So we can't boast about our works. But 
we need to have a proper understanding of Scripture here when he says faith without works is dead. Now, he's, Martin Luther saw a conflict between Paul and James. Now, remember, Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, and James, of course, wrote James. That's pretty obvious. Now, New Testament authors use the same words, but often will use them in a different way based on their audience or based on the purpose of their letter. And so even though you may see the same word, you may see faith, you know that there's three different words for the word faith in Greek. And then here they're using faith, and then they're using the word works, and they're using it in a different context. And we need to understand that so we don't get this idea that we have to work our way to salvation because we see the majority of the entire New Testament teachers all agree that it's not works that save us. But here, James says, being justified by our works. And he gives these illustrations. So let's look at the way James is writing, who he's writing to. Now, Paul was writing to Jewish Christians who thought they were righteous before God because of their heritage and because of their obedience and adherence to the Mosaic law. That was why they thought they were righteous. And so Paul is specifically addressing the fact that you cannot be saved from your adherence to the law. You can try to make sure you get every jot and tittle down just perfect, and it's not going to save you, and it's not going to make you right. So therefore, you are justified by faith alone. Works cannot save you. And that's absolutely true. Amen? Amen. Now, that was his message and his purpose to those people because he was writing to a hybrid. If you remember our study when we went verse by verse through the book of Romans, there was a hybrid of people that he was writing to, both made up of Jewish Christians and Greek Christians. And these people both had very different backgrounds. The Jews thought they were better than the Greeks. The Greeks thought they were better than the Jews because the Jews thought that they had all of this heritage and tradition that they were already justified. It was like all of their works, all of their adherence to the mosaic law all of their rituals all of their bloodlines plus jesus and then the greeks were going well you need to throw all that stuff out because it's just jesus and nothing else and paul was trying to help them both to see um, the valid plus sides that would bring them together and he said listen it's your faith that brings you together and it shouldn't divide you now paul calls the adherence to the mosaic law works They were looking to their adherence to the Mosaic Law and their heritage as a means to salvation. So in that context, Paul is absolutely right. You cannot be saved by works. You cannot work your way into heaven. You can't be good enough to be in heaven. And James is not dealing with that same mindset. James is not talking to these people about the same thing or the same purpose that Paul was talking to. James is writing to a group of Christians that are not demonstrating evidence that the heart has been, has been transformed and is continually being transformed by the gospel, the fruit of which, the fruit of the gospel impacting our heart, the fruit of grace would be works. And that's what he meant when he said, I can show you my faith by my works. In other words, he's saying, I can show you the fruit of my life being impacted by the gospel through a changed life. He's saying, these things that I'm doing, 
They're not saving me, but if I truly am saved, if I truly have been influenced by His grace, then good works should be flowing out of me, and those two things should work together. And then he gives a series of illustrations, just like Abraham was justified. It wasn't just the fact that he believed, it was the fact that he actually did what God told him to do and acted on that, plus that he believed. Because if he really believed it, and then he didn't do what God told him to do, then he wouldn't really have had faith, right? right. Are you tracking with me this morning? Did you drink your coffee this morning? You okay? Yes. All right, you ate your Wheaties and everything? All right. Now, he's saying, listen, here's the deal. He said, even Rahab the harlot, she had faith. She trusted, but then she had to act on that too. And that was the, the, the part that actually showed that what she said she believed, she believed. Because if they had just spoken it out of their mouths, then they would have been no better than a hypocrite, right? Oh, I believe. Good luck with that whole getting out of the city thing, guys. I'm not going to give you a rope or anything. Just good, good luck. But I believe. Woo. Be warmed and filled. Be blessed. It's the same thing that with Abraham. Oh, God, I, I, I believe I'm, I'm going to be a... Father of many nations, sure, yeah. Uh, hey, Sarah, what do you think, uh, 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 how do you think this is going to work? She says, this isn't going to work, buddy. Take my slave. Why don't, why don't you try to get her pregnant instead? Let's, let's help God out. That's not faith. They had to get back to a position of faith and then do what God said to do, right? Now, that's the kind of works that James is talking about. James is talking about what should be coming after we have encountered Christ, not a pathway to Christ. Does that make sense where he talks about faith and works? Because so many people get this mixed up and so many people misunderstand this and I would not even dare say that I am more well-versed in Scripture than Martin Luther, um, but I truly believe that he had a stark misunderstanding based on his lenses and his worldview and his experience and that's why he had such a hard time with this idea because he was championing the idea of salvation through uh, faith alone and not by grace. Because if you even contextualize Martin Luther and you look at where he was, this guy was uh, heavily steeped in Catholicism and rules and in, in rituals and all of these things that uh, he was taught and trained to do, that this is what you do in order to be right before God. So he would have been more out of the works idea like Paul was talking to the Jews of his day. Kind of in that same idea, thinking, well, I've done this, 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 or I have to do this, 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 and this, and then I'll be saved. And so that's why he was such a champion for that message. And I thank God that he was a champion for that message because it was a wonderful thing that he did by championing the message of being saved by faith alone. But yet, even though we are saved by faith alone and we are justified by faith alone, works should follow and should come out of our lives because those things work together. Amen, somebody? Hopefully that helped you a little bit. First John 4 and 20 says, you can't love God whom you can't see and hate your brother that you can see. You can't love God and trust Him um, without seeing good works being the overflow of your life. So many people say, oh, I love God. I mean, every pop star, when they receive an award, what do they do? Thank God. Or if they're really spiritual and they want you to buy their album, they'll say, thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for this award. Oh, they're a Christian. I didn't know that. Their, their album sure didn't sound like they're a Christian, but I'm going to buy their album because they sound Christian. <laughs> I didn't know that actor or actress was a Christian. They think they're Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You can say you love God, but there should be a change in our life that shows evidence of that. Amen, somebody? 
You see, we receive grace by faith, and we give grace by faith. That's how we receive this. The, the works we do in love should be an overflow of the grace that we've received by faith. We should never put our trust in our works as a method of being saved or for our salvation. We should trust that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was enough, that he paid the ultimate penalty for our sin, and then as we're reminded of the gravity of our sin and then the great grace that he showed us on the cross instead of us getting what we deserved, he took that. He bore our griefs, our sorrows. He carried those things upon himself so we could benefit. Amen? The more I recognize that and the more that becomes reality to me, the more space is made in my heart to receive that message of grace and the more it impacts me. And the more that it impacts me, it should do more than just make me cry. It should do more than just give me goosebumps. It should do more than just make you say, Pastor, that was a good sermon today. It should do more than just make you want to come to church and show up once a week and make sure you save your spot because that's your spot and nobody better sit in your spot. I know who you are. I know where you sit. But here's the thing. It's got to be more than that. Amen? It's got to be more than that. It's got to be a life influence. Man, I, you know, I, I, I used to get upset about these things, but now because of grace, I was forgiven of that same thing. And when the reality of that hits you, you go, wow, to whom much has been given, much is required. Man, Lord, work in my heart a love and a patience towards a person in that situation because I, I remember being the same way. I play video games with a group of buddies online, and we're real silly. It's really goofy, okay? But we have a good time doing it. And I remember when I first started playing, I was the person that had played the least amount, and I felt like I was frustrating the entire group because I'm no good. I'm like awful, okay? I'm worse than awful. And I got a little better, got a little better, got a little better. And then the guy that's the best guy on our team, we ended up playing with another teammate that was bad like I used to be bad. And I was just really getting upset that this guy was as bad as he was. And then the guy that was the best guy on the team, he told me, he said, ah, he said, we need to cut that guy some slack. He said, he could be just starting out just like we've all been there. And when he said that, I felt kind of (laughs) bad. I know it's something stupid like a video game that doesn't have any bearing on eternity, but it made me stop. (laughs) I know some of you are shocked. Video games have no bearing on eternity? That's right. (laughs) That's right, they don't. They're a huge waste of time, but they're fun. Relationship builder, I love it. It's a fun thing I like to do. But anyways, one of the things that really hit me was the way that this guy handled that. And I thought, wow, he remembers being there. And I think too many times, you and I, we forget that we were there. We for, Just like Jesus even said in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, when he's talking to the church of Laodicea, he said, you think you're rich. You think you got everything you need. He said, but you don't know you're wretched, poor, and naked. He said, you need to get the things you need from me. He said, you need to get a a, a robe of righteousness from me. You need to get eye salve to anoint your eyes to see because you're really blind. You don't even know it because you think you're so smart. You think you're so sharp, but you forgot. You've forgotten where you've truly come from. You've left your first love. You've forgotten all of these things that you should be reminding yourself of daily and reminding yourself of the gospel, reminding yourself of your, reminding yourself of your need for Christ because you received him by faith and, and you should never get to the point where you think that you've arrived and then you begin to criticize those who are poor 
or those who may not be in uh, the, the, the elite level that you are in and you're kind of snubbing them. And that's what James is trying to get across. He's saying we should always be humble and remember that we didn't earn this grace, but yet the works that we produce should come out of the fact that we receive that grace freely, that we live for him, that we serve him. It's really the whole idea of loving God, loving people, and serving the world. It works together as an overflow. So here's what James does. James causes us to check our heart and ask, have I truly received the grace of God? So I want you to ask yourself that this morning. Why don't we all just take a moment before we leave? Why don't you just bow your head? Why don't you just close your eyes? And I want the Holy Spirit to do his work in your heart. Because this is the heart work that Pastor Derek can't do. I can't change you. I can't, I can't alter your heart. I can't reorient your heart. I can only speak the truth. The, the Holy Spirit does this work, and I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to do it in you. But I want you to ask yourself, have I truly received the grace of God? Is your life showing the evidence that you've trusted in Him for your salvation? If you're not seeing the evidence of the fruit of love in your life, then where are you at? Have you forgotten your first love? Or have you had an encounter with religion, but you've never had an encounter with Jesus? I'm not asking if you've ever donated money or time, and I'm not asking if you've ever said a prayer in church. I'm not asking if you've ever been to seminary. I'm asking, does your life show the gospel at work in your heart? I'm not asking if you're perfect, because none of us are that. But a life, affected by the gospel, is going to be glorifying God through the way you treat others. A life changed by the gospel is going to be continually growing in the love and grace towards others. A life changed by the gospel finds out the more you know, the more you find out you don't know. And instead of being prideful, you actually become more humble. Instead of becoming more bitter, you become more compassionate and full of mercy. Instead of becoming more judgmental, you become more gracious and willing to listen. Instead of wandering spending more and more time asking what's in it for me, you start asking, how can I give more of myself away? And if you're not seeing that fruit in your life, then what are you waiting for? Today is your day. Repent and ask Jesus Christ into your life. Say, Jesus, I recognize my need for you, and I need your grace, and I need you to receive. I need to receive your grace. Ask, ask, and if, if you said, I have asked him into my life before, and I have welcomed him into my heart, Well, maybe it's time for you to ask him to stir your affections for him. God, stir stir my affections. I pray that every day. God, help my affections to be stirred for you. Help my affections to be stirred towards my wife and my children today because I can so easily drift inward. I can so easily get into self-mode and be selfish and all about me. God, stir my affections for you. Stir my affections for other people. Ask him today. Let's spend some time in prayer this morning just for the next minute and allow the Holy Spirit to use the Word of God that you've heard today and His Holy Spirit to draw us to the cross, the place where the ground is level, the place where we all have the same need, where Jesus Christ is the answer for our need. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.